Deezer Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. Ah, oh, here we are, Defending in Numbers. Whoa! That's the new intro every week until next week when it will be cold and I will never be allowed back in this room. My name is Rob Armstrong. This is Defending in Numbers, the podcast where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty pretending to know a little bit more about football than we really do and helping me pretend today it's only going to be hot take Jake the Snake Entwistle. How are you doing, Jake? Yeah, I'm good. I'm not going to be pretending though. I want to be a, a realist. Well, that's I the hope thing. I'm helping. You're so real, Jake. You are so real, but I'm a pretender. But there's another real man in the room, and that is young Ollie Young Miles. Hello, young hello. Ollie. Making my debut today. Yeah, how's it feel? I'm quite nervous, quite nervous actually. You, it you seems, should be. Uh, it's, a, a very, be. it's a very intimidating <laughs> environment in here. Basically, you have to do like an extra amount of football knowledge to make up for mine, mm. and that's fairly lacking, okay. it has to be said. I'll see what I can do. You're also, of course, doing some pretending. You're, you're imparting some knowledge on our listeners who, of course, are subscribed on Deezer, iTunes, all the usual podcast places. And, of course, if you are on iTunes, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Make young Ollie, Mi- <laughs> <laughs> young Ollie Young Miles a rich man with that sweet, sweet algorithm. So, speaking of big figures, like Ollie's got today for coming in. Let's go on to Week by Numbers. The Week by Numbers. So, we have a huge number to start with. As Jake just pointed, pointed out to me while we were listening to a jingle, which we all heard, definitely, and hasn't been added in in post-production. The number two, Jake, an intimidating number. It is. And it's the difference between the number of chances Kevin De Bruyne created versus Chelsea and the number of chances Chelsea created as a team. De Bruyne made six and Chelsea made just four. So is De Bruyne the best player in the division so far this season? And why did Chelsea let him go? And why did whatever paper it was run that article where they said he was like crybaby Chelsea flop or something? <laughs> crybaby Chelsea flop. He definitely is not <laughs> right now. Um you could argue that they've he been is better far players. from flopping. I he have is, to say, exactly. He's <laughs> he's, he's mm. attacking wise. He's erect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he went there, but um, yeah, I don't know if he's been the best in the Premier League sort of this season. Uh, you can you can argue that he's definitely up there, but I think by the end of the season he will be the Premier League's best player. I sort of uh, tipped him as the the footballer of the year for the 2017-18 season and he's definitely going about it in that way and his masterclass against Chelsea um, against his old club it was good to be back for Stamford Bridge for him as you said six chances created in a game where the home team only managed four Uh, he embarrassed them really and what I like most about him is the fact that he creates so many different chances he's not just doing one simple thing, laying it off to other people. He crosses the ball. He's got an excellent set-piece delivery. His through balls from from near the halfway line are brilliant. And his crossing is probably the one thing I love about him the most. I thought for a while that he, he might be... The, I like to think of him as the best crosser in the world. That's what I like to label him as. Cause, Good Lord, there's a reason I call you hot take, Jake. Know, the Belgian Beckham. Yeah, oh, well, there you go. That's an even better way for it, but... <laughs> Um, so I, I had a look at his crossing numbers to sort of prove, try and prove myself right. Uh, since 2012-13 in Europe's top five leagues, he's attempted exactly a thousand crosses. Good God. Um, what a man. <laughs> so he's, he's being nice to us because he's got nice round figures. And uh, he's completed 309 of them, which at first you think that's quite low. But out of every player to attempt over a thousand in that time, there are 12 players that have done that. 
uh, he's got the highest success rate. So his 30.9% is the highest success rate of any crosser. My God, he ain't no crybaby flop, is he, Ollie? No, not at all. I do I do like him, but I've got a bit of a bone to pick with Kevin De Bruyne over a couple of things. Do it. Call him out. One, one I backed him to be the best player of Euro 2016, and he wasn't. I bet on him. I think I put a five on him at 33 to one. He didn't, he didn't do anything. How does he sleep at night? I know. Secondly, I got him into my fantasy team this year, which anyone who's been playing fantasy knows he is very, very pricey. 10 mil. First three games did nothing, took him out. And since then he's been flying. So I, I think I've, you know, I've actually had something to do with this form. Sounds to me like you're the crybaby flop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But he is great. I mean, he's, he's changed role a little bit this season. Yeah, he's moving further back, isn't he? Yeah. So Guardiola's yeah, dropped him back. He's, he's playing more as a centre midfielder alongside Fernandinho. And he's, he's more involved in the game. He's, he's averaging 62 passes per game, I believe, in the Premier League, which is up 17 from last year. So, I mean, it, you know, he's, he's City's, arguably City's best player. And if you're giving him more of the ball, um, then he's going to hurt teams. And that's what he's, he's started to do recently. OK, then, Ollie, take the number two, <laughs> times it by 42. Yep. What do you get? You get Harry Kane's Premier League goals number. 84. There we go. Uh, Ollie, you read my mind <laughs> and the sheet of paper that we're all sharing. The synergy. Uh, <laughs> Harry Kane, as many goals in the Premier League as Cristiano Ronaldo now. I mean, yes, obviously they did play a different position. But for the sake of the stat, guys, Harry Kane has as many Premier League goals as Cristiano Ronaldo, a man who has won 630 Ballon d'Ors. Uh, makes him the joint 40th top scorer in Premier League history. And if he continues scoring at the same rate, he'll enter the top 20 at the end of the season, which is pretty insane given that he's 23? 24. Oh, he's, 24 oh, he's past it then. Forget <laughs> it. Move on. Yeah, Jay, how, how, how good is he going to be just forever? And also this season, is, is it just September a purple patch or can you see Harry Kane just scoring goal after goal after goal after goal after goal all season? Well, I think we've sort of moved on from probably the most complete playmaker in the league to now probably the most complete striker. Um, Harry Kane yeah, doesn't score in August, but he definitely made up for that in September. Equaled the goal record of Messi and Ronaldo for most in a single month for club and country, which was 13. Um, so yeah, September was probably a purple patch. I don't think he'll be getting double figures every month, but there's no doubt that he'll go on to score at least 25 goals in the Premier League this season. Um, and... The reason he's so good, I think, is because every season he's adding something else to his game. Uh, last season, I'd probably argue that he became not just the uh, fox in the box that people were starting to think he was. He started shooting more from outside the box. Uh, since the start of last season, he's got seven from outside the box, which is only bettered by um, uh, Philip Coutinho. Uh, and he's got 11 in total outside the box. So it shows that last season he was he was finding his range. He's, he's developed a really unique shooting technique. He seems to have the right style for every position uh, on the pitch and that means that he is one of the most deadliest strikers in the Premier League. He can score from pretty much anywhere with any body part and um, yeah he might not get 13 in a month again but he's definitely he's definitely going to be scoring more and more. So I was at the London Stadium watching him tear <laughs> West Ham apart the other day unfortunately. Mm. Uh, I can't really remember that much of it but I do remember <laughs> the first goal. It was only 12 o'clock kickoff wasn't it? <sighs> <laughs> it's late enough an early start <laughs> uh, but yeah every time he got the ball I remember being overwhelmed with a sense of dread uh, and obviously for those 90 minutes alone intense hatred but uh, obviously he is a brilliant brilliant player how much more do you think he can add to his game what's he got to uh, perfect next well if you look at it, I mean as, as Jake said he, he seems to be adding more and more to his game but I think 
if we take it back down to to just his goals, if we're just you know analysing by goals, uh, last season he got twenty nine goals in thirty Premier League games, which is um, didn't he get like nine of them in the last seven minutes? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was, I mean, well, we'll come on to his away goal record in a minute. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's that that made it zero point nine seven goals per game last season, which is the most for any Golden Boot winner in the league. So. If we remember Luis Suarez when Liverpool almost won the league and he just went ham, he went crazy. He got he got a lower rate than than Harry Kane. He got 0.94. Cristiano Ronaldo before he got his move to Real Madrid got a 0.91 goals per game ratio. So Kane is already comparison that everyone keeps using him. Mm. Surely that's he was a winger at Man United, wasn't he? Not in the end though. He sort of he was evolving into a forward by the end. He got 31 goals in 34 games in one season at United. So. I mean, and he's he's a once in a generation talent, obviously in the same generation as Messi. But you know, Ronaldo, I think it is comparable at this point. Um, and in terms of his away away games, obviously, you know, you, you mentioned you're at the London Stadium watching him score goals. <clears throat> it's uh, <laughs> it's become a familiar sight, really, for home fans. He's got 18 in his last 18 Premier League games uh, away from home, which is phenomenal, and he's converted 30. 8.29% of his chances in that time as well. So, yeah, he's he's smashing goals in. He's going to keep doing it. He's done it ever since the start of 2014-15. Uh, and he's now only 26 goals away from matching Emil Heskey in the Premier League. So Wow. That's yeah, the stat you want to That's yeah. what you want to aspire to, isn't it? But <laughs> is he going to do Shearer, though, eventually, do you reckon? This is this is the thing. He's close to one Shearer record already. Um, he's got 27 goals in the league in 2017. Uh, the record for most in a calendar year in the Premier League is 36, set by Alan okay. Shearer. So nine goals, and we've just started October. Considering he's scored six hat-tricks already uh, in 2017, he only needs to get a few more of those to beat it. <laughs> Quite a few more. Yeah. But the Wembley curse, Jake. Ollie, the Wembley yeah. curse. But the away, the away goals record. That's what we're bringing in. But the Wembley curse. Uh, from someone who's banging in goals to someone who's job literally is to stop me going in uh, and the number six which is the number of clean sheets for David De Gea the most for a goalkeeper in Europe's top five leagues is he the best in the world or is it just a case of Mourinho's tactics Mourinho shoring up his defences making sure they win at all costs and don't concede at all costs is it anything to do with De Gea or is it just a Mourinho team I think over the past few years it's been you know the conversation has been De Gea or Neuer obviously Neuer's been out all season uh, with, with injury and De Gea's and Herrera Gomez yep. <laughs> yeah yeah. Well, I mean when we're talking penalty saves he's definitely up there um, and gum shielded goalkeepers probably number one but yeah De Gea is yeah he's fantastic and I think you know the fact that Neuer has been out this season has kind of brought the attention back onto De Gea um, and as you said, he's kept six clean sheets in seven games. You know, he's been brilliant for United even when they were terrible. Now that they're good, you know, it's, it's showing how good he he really is. He's he's made 15 saves this season. Um, so, he's, you know, he's making 7.5 saves per goal conceded, which is pretty remarkable, really. Um, and I think, you know, the, 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 the big thing about him is playing for a big team like United that are steamrolling sides. It can be very easy for a keeper to sort of lose their concentration, but he's always on it. He's always switched on. Um, and I think the key thing for him, you know, when you're analysing his form this season uh, was the Everton game when United won the up and he made two or three brilliant saves against Everton to keep it at 1-0 and then United ended up winning 4-0. So he's that kind of keeper that can, you know, he can win points for teams and he's, even though United's forwards players are stealing the, the limelight somewhat, he's, you know, he deserves plenty of praise this season as well. Obviously, international break coming up, Jake. And De Gea, probably going to be in net for Spain for years, isn't he? Yeah, he's set. I just want to say that Oli's 
stole probably all of my points that I was going to make about De Gea just then. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Uh, well, but that yeah. proves... You should have got in the toilet before yeah. the show. He looked at all your notes and <laughs> wrote them all down. Well, that just proves that like it's not just... It's clear that De Gea, yes, Man United have scored uh, the second most goals in the league and conceded joint fewest, but 15 saves doesn't sound a lot. He's not getting peppered, but he's making those vital saves. And he, and he, and he, play, he does that for Spain as well, as you mentioned. Spain control the ball. They probably near 70% possession every game you have. But if you can then rely on a goalkeeper that when you play the teams that are excellent on the counter-attack, they dominated Italy recently, but that's been a fixture in the past that Spain have struggled with, sort of in the transition phase. When you're relying on a keeper like David De Gea in between, in between the posts, you know that you can trust him to make those big saves. Man United have been winning 4-0, but De Gea's been making these saves at 0-0, 1-0. So the more saves you make when the scoreline's close, the opposition think, right, we're getting chances here. They'll push forward. They push forward, then Man United just release Martial, Rashford, Lukaku, and they score three in the final 10 minutes. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like a lot of these goals are coming yeah. late on after mm. sort of fairly Definitely, tight yeah. games, aren't they? Um, do you remember when we were talking about how many goals Harry Kane has scored from outside the area? Mm-hmm. My God, that moves so smoothly into number <laughs> 17, which is goals scored outside the area by Philippe Coutinho in the Premier League uh, in since, sorry, 2012-2013. So, basically, is he the best at doing that? We all know what he does, cutting in from the left, curling it in on the right. Is he the best at that in the world? No. All right, well, I say next no. number. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, he's, he's scored the most from outside the area, but he's also taken, you know, quite comfortably the most shots as well. He's um, attempted 284 shots. So, you know, Wally. yeah, I mean, you mentioned him cutting in and curling it from, from the left flank. He's done that 284 times <laughs> since 2012, 13. So he does it a lot. 103 of those shots have been blocked, which uh, tells you a couple of things. I think obviously it makes his conversion rate um, slightly better. I think it's about nine, just over 9%, um, 17 goals from about 180 shots. But it also shows that he can be quite wasteful. You know, in in that sort of area, he cuts in and shoots. He's obviously not creating enough space for himself because defenders are able to block his efforts. So um, it must be quite frustrating to play with him at times because he can be wasteful in those areas. But then obviously when he pings it into the top corner, it's, you know, it's quite nice to see. Jake, you've got a a savage vendetta about Alexis Sanchez taking up too much resource (laughs) in the Arsenal team, haven't you? Is it a bit of a similar case with Coutinho? Does he kind of take up, whereas I feel with someone like Mane, you're getting a very direct result. You're like, give him the ball. He's going to charge into the box and try and make something happen. With Coutinho, he's is it very a little bit clinical like, that man as well. Yeah, is it Coutinho? Everyone try and get him the ball, and he might make some magic happen. A bit similar to the Sanchez situation that you will never let lie. <laughs> that I cry about at night. But <laughs> well, apparently, yeah, <laughs> yeah, apparently, I can believe it. <laughs> I just think so. In terms of just that goal number, seventeen since the 2012-13 season. Uh, considering he made his debut in February that season. That is very impressive. Yes, he's taken a lot of shots, but um, he's clear that he's got talent in that in that, uh, in that that area of the pitch. And you, you wouldn't want to completely sort of move him away from that. You wouldn't want to say, Coutinho, stop cutting in and shooting. Because that is how they're winning games. Like yeah. Their goals are coming from him producing that man- magic or even scoring the free kicks. He hadn't scored mm. a free kick since the start of last season for Liverpool. And he's got four since then, which is the most in the Premier League. How many did he take in between the, the gap between with the uh, long drought? 
I didn't look at the drought. Was it, was I haven't it the same got the as Ronaldo's drought? You know, didn't Ronaldo oh, go like yeah. 73 kicks before scoring? Probably, It's yeah. like two years or something. It's not anything on that level. It, it? I don't think it will be that bad, but uh, that's what I mean. I don't think he was taking many of them either. And he yeah. sort of stepped up and the free kicks that are in that position that he would usually cut in from, he got the vital goal against Middlesbrough from a free kick where they were searching for Champions League football. He's already scored a couple of really good ones this the one season. Leicester was Exactly, they're inch Absolutely. perfect. And so you wouldn't want to say to him... Oh, stop doing that where you're displaying one of the like most graceful things on the football pitch you can see, just bending it in the top corner. But as Ollie mentioned, if you're getting 103 shots blocked, you are probably being wasteful. You are probably, there's a couple of times where you could pass it. Mane makes incredible runs. There might be a couple of times where instead of shooting, from that same angle, you clip it into the box and Mane's there to score. Um, something that I would really like to see with Philip Coutinho is is sort of his his expected goals of these shots from outside the area. Uh, we've spoken about that statistic coming into God, the... I bet you we've, <laughs> we've spoken to it before and it's, it's not something that you can easily uh, get hold of at the moment because it's still being sort of dripped in to match analysis. But with someone like Coutinho, that would be really good to see because not only would it show how good he is at shooting. So if he's got a really low expected goals total from outside the box and he scored 17 goals, then it shows that, yes, he is one of the best. He makes magic happen in positions where others can't. But if that expected goals value starts to creep up towards 17, that suggests that any player that takes as many shots from outside the box will do the same. As you said, Alexis Sanchez fires so many shots in and that's the reason why he gets so many goals. He's taking a large percent of Arsenal's shots. Coutinho is doing the same. He's getting the rewards for it, but the most goals from outside the box can be quite skewed in the fact that, as Oli mentioned, he is doing it a lot. You'd expect him to get 17, and that's what expected goals would tell us. Do you reckon if Coutinho moved to Barcelona, that number would be higher just on the amount of space that uh, defenders would leave him with while occupying your Suarez and Suarez's and Messi's of the world? I don't know, because at Barcelona, he'd, he'd get the ball and his... I mean, at, at Liverpool, perhaps a reason why he's taking so many shots is because, you know, he, he doesn't have a central striker to play off most of the time. Him and Firmino sort of switch around and maybe he doesn't trust his forward players as much. Mm. But at Barcelona, you've got or one of Sturridge's legs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at Barcelona, you've got Messi uh, and Suarez to pass to. And, you know, I mean, Coutinho's played with Suarez and he, you know, he, they actually linked up really well. I just think his role would be a little bit different. And I don't think he'd have that sort of... You know, he, he probably wouldn't feel the need to be the hero all the time and try and shoot and score all the time because he's got Messi pretty much banging a hat-trick every game. So it would be interesting to see how he'd be used. I think they'd probably put him in the Iniesta role and, and get him to sort of dictate play and, and you know, drive him up the up the field with, with nice dribbling and stuff like that. Just one thing I would say about him, though, he is, he is scoring more. He's got 15 goals in his last 34 Premier League games and before that he had 21 from his previous 107 so you know he is he is getting better at it I think it's just the fact that you know it, we, we'd like to see it a little bit more but he started the season brilliantly since he's come back alright then and on to the final number 0.75 big big numbers Huge. this week this one's less than one uh, this is the average goals per game of this is my pronunciation my French <laughs> Nantes is that right? Strong on, I think. Yeah. Okay, good. 0.75, the average goals per game of Nantes this season in League A. Good. Guess who manages them? Claudio Ranieri. He's got them sitting in fourth place. So everyone's saying, are they going to do a Leicester? <laughs> but, I mean, to me, it sounds like they're much less exciting than yeah. Leicester. <laughs> yeah, they don't really score goals, as you said. Um, similarly to Leicester, they... 
don't really like keeping the ball. They're bottom for possession in Liga. Uh, they've got they've averaged forty four percent, and they are sixteenth for chances created in that league as well. So as you mentioned, they aren't particularly exciting. They don't score many. They don't concede many. They've got the second best uh, defensive record. They've only conceded five goals. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're looking for excitement, this this Nantes team isn't probably the place to go to in France at the moment, where goals are flying in in, in plenty of other places. Jake, did I see? while perusing through social media and my holiday in Tenerife that I had to take after the uh, London Stadium incident. <laughs> Did I see that they've only scored six goals in eight games? Yeah. And they're fourth. Exactly. It's Mental. The, I th- I'm trying to work out the maths. How many have they conceded? Five. <sighs> God. <laughs> so, but but yeah. that's the whole point. The Le- league on is, everyone said, it is th- sort of this boring league where there's no competition but but Claudio Ranieri's introduced this style that's probably not many teams have seen as Oli said there's loads of goals in league 1 at the moment Monaco scored over 100 last season PSG have now got Neymar Mbappe and Cavani up front They're, PSG scored as many last week as not have all season there you go in one game <laughs> so that's what I mean so the league 1 is usually I think it's sort of a playground for a lot of young players they go there and they're completely unshackled unhinged and they can They've got the platform to score goals, create chances. Ranieri's gone in there and said, right, if we don't concede, we might actually do well. And the penny's dropped and it's like, these tactics work. Mm. They've created the fourth fewest chances in Ligue 1 and they're sitting fourth from top. He's parked the tractor in the Farmers League. (laughs) (laughs) You're building up to that one. He was waiting. (laughs) Um, I was sitting researching that one. What do, what do farmers drive? (laughs) Tractors. There we go. go. He's parked that and they're they're, they're reaping with the wards. I think there are plenty of similarities with Leicester because, you know, obviously at Leicester, he got given a shiny new N'Golo Kante. But other than that, <laughs> he didn't spend an awful lot of money. Uh, and at Nantes, he hasn't really spent much either. I think they had a 1 million net spend and they, they spent just over 10 million, I think. Um, so he's obviously gone there, analysed their squad and thought, OK, this this squad finished sort of um, eighth or ninth in Liga. I think they finished last year um, and has just made them really difficult to beat and at the moment it's working I think they had a, a little a bit of a tricky start um, and they've just you know since then they've clearly taken on his ideas and they're making themselves very difficult to beat what formation they're using is it the Ranieri special 4-4-2 four, four, yeah I think four, he might I, I think he might even do 4-5-1 with them as well because what they have done is they've done their best player last season in terms of a, like sort of a money ball statistic signing <laughs> Uh, they, their left back Lucas Lima won the most tackles and created more chances than any other fullback in Europe's top five leagues last season. Uh, it was 124 tackles and 64 chances created. 124 was only two fewer than N'Golo Kante. So again, it shows that they've got this guy that's on the that was playing left back um, that was really good putting up these intense numbers. What Ranieri's done is now pushed him up to left midfield. So he's sort of doubled up on like, let me just make this team as solid as possible. This guy can create chances. He can cross a ball. But if I do two banks of four, two banks of four, one, one, five, maybe, um, he's made this team impossible to beat. And they've got these players in there that uh, no one knows who they are, but they're posting these ridiculous statistics. And it's all because the rigid formation that he's played is aimed at scoring one goal and not conceding any and you'll win games. And they're fourth because of it. Who's getting stolen next summer then? Lucas Lima? Is he going straight to Chelsea? Maybe. I, was, I mean, as Jake said, there, there's not really any stars in that team. And yeah. you look at them statistically and it's it's a bit of a an odd one that they are where they are. There is a midfielder called Abdu Toure, I think, 
Um, and he ranks top for tackles and take-ons, which is quite an interesting sort of blend. Um, he's a midfield player. And yeah, I mean, maybe may him, but I'd be lying if I said an awful lot about him. But I think it's, you know, those are quite interesting metrics to be, um, you know, sort of top of. So yeah, perhaps him, Abdul Toure. All right, then. Let's move on to our next <laughs> segment. I'm embarrassed to move on to the next segment. I'm embarrassed to ask. Right then. Footballing-wise, I'm ignorant, all right? I don't understand how countries I don't know an awful lot about and who appear to me to have very little football history get into the World Cup or even get to host it in Qatar's case. (laughs) So when I see that Syria are playing Australia in the first leg of a World Cup qualifying playoff to then play the fourth-place team in CONCACAF, which I guess is going to be like, what? I'll just, no. No, it could be USA. USA. USA or, or Panama. That's, Panama would be a good one. That sounds to me that Syria have a pretty good chance. I mean, how good are Australia? They've got a reasonable chance. Syria ranked 75th in the world and Australia are 50th. Have, have I heard but of any Syrian players? No, no, you wouldn't have. Then why, how are they so good? Well, how long have you got? <laughs> Um, well, oof, I don't know. We <laughs> normally run at about forty minutes. <laughs> I mean, look, they they could beat Australia. Basically, they've they've got Australia because uh, both of them finished third uh, in their last qualifying section. The Asian qualifying section, I never realised until today, is just ridiculous. It's not like Europe where you just turn up for ten games and that's it. They've got four different rounds to get to this point. Um, so yeah, I mean, Syria they came uh, second in the second qualifying round. And then came third in the third qualifying round and they now play Australia in the fourth qualifying round. And whoever wins that could play the United States. So, I mean, they've done remarkably well to get this far. Um, they've been very consistent. I think that's 18 games already they've clocked up. It'll be 20 uh, once they get Australia out of the way. Um, and then an, an, a further a further two if they, if they go all the way. Um, they've got one of the top scorers in, in Asian qualifying, Omar Kabin. Ah, household name. Yep. Yeah, exactly. There's the one that you knew of about. Al Hilal. So he'll probably be on FIFA actually. So maybe maybe <laughs> worth him up straight maybe away. worth checking on. Uh, he's got ten goals. Only two players have scored more than him. So he's been a, a bit of a secret weapon for them. Uh, but similarly to to Nantes, they've been quite solid at the back, which has you know been uh, how they've built their success. Uh, they beat China one 0 away last year, which was the kind of result that uh, got everyone talking about them. Um, well, I think there was 80,000, 90,000 watching that game uh, in China and they, and they snuck away with a 1-0 win. Um, so, yes, it's an incredible story. As you said, there's there's no players uh, that are household names that you'd say. some Their best players are sort of playing in Egypt and Saudi Arabia. They've got one lad playing in Sweden, I think, which is a bit bit random. But no one in, in big leagues. So it's it's very much a sort of team team ethic, um, defending from the front kind of, kind of job. And, yeah, it'd be great to see them beat Australia. So, like I said, Jack, I'm a bit of a a bit of a footballing dinosaur, bit of a bit of a dummy when it comes to <laughs> new teams popping up. But obviously, with Syria, it's not just like it's a small team; it's a small team from a country that is in, you know, there is always in the news. Clearly, not at their best time in history. Yeah, is this one of those situations like with oh, was it Iran or Iraq a few years ago won the Asian Cup, didn't they? And uh, everyone came together. Has it been like a big sort of uniting thing? Are they playing the games at home? I really, it's it just, yeah. I saw it and it surprised yeah. me that it popped up there that with everything that's going on in Syria, mm. that they could actually sort of organise themselves to put it on properly. But that's what I'm saying at the beginning. I'm 
ignorant football wise. <laughs> I'm scared that I'm being ignorant world <laughs> politics wise here. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot to go into uh, in terms of their team and stuff that you'd sort of you could do a lot of investigating and, and really find out what's going on. Uh, I know they're definitely playing against Australia in a neutral venue, yeah. so that probably points towards that. Yeah, the instability is there. Mm. Um, but they are they're, they're in terms of a pure footballing sense. It's it, it is a feel good story. Like yeah. th- this could be their first ever appearance at a World Cup. Uh, during the qualifying campaign, uh, one of their defenders made his debut at 30 years old, and he's now got seven caps. So they've got that sort of there is that sort of fairy tale footballing story to mm. it. The players that aren't well known are now playing against Australia, which again they're not a they're not a powerhouse Super in football. Power, no. But there's people like Aaron Moy who's in playing for Huddersfield now. Tim Cahill. Still going. Still going, yeah. yeah. He does, doesn't play in, in the, he doesn't play at the <laughs> highest level, but Tim Cahill's got was ridiculous in the Premier League. He was yeah, a course. really good player and Australia have produced great players that we know of. This Syrian team, as I said, they've got a thirty year old that's just jumped in the team and they've got one of the best defensive records, as Ollie said, they're playing similar to that non team. They're not conceding and they're hoping that being this solid unit as a football team will will drive them through. Australia will be tough. And then obviously they've got to play, it could be United States, it could be Panama. I think those are the two from the CONCACAF uh, region that they'll most likely face. You'd probably prefer Panama, even though the United States themselves have, are in weird disarray at the moment, given the players, they've got like people like Christian Pulisic. Um, they've got great players, so they'd want to avoid them. But in a footballing sense, this Syria team, it would be absolutely incredible for them to get to a World Cup. And Australia aren't performing that well so a good and also win. don't belong in the Asian thing right exactly yeah, that's exactly, one yeah. thing that's They're, a good point I mean Australia basically came in to, to get an easier passage to the World Cup and how's it because surely if there's a, a Oceania yeah it is yeah. qualifying thing, New Zealand dominate that now, why is really? it harder to get oh do New Zealand have to play someone from one of the other continents yeah to get in so this, this yeah, is the thing yeah Australia the reason Australia wanted to move to Asian qualifying is because they were annoyed that there was no guaranteed spot from the Oceanic qualifying. So they were winning that every single year. And then Australia were having to play someone from South America. So you usually get the tougher, like in terms of North America, South America, you'd rather be playing uh, Panama than Uruguay. Yeah. And that's what they were having to do. So again, because they were so dominant in the Oceanic scene, uh, everyone was okay with them moving over. FIFA ratified it and said, this is just healthier for competition in general. But the funny thing is, is now that the World Cup's going to be expanded, Oceania are now getting a guaranteed spot. So Australia have now not only moved to a more competitive (laughs) region that they're finding out has five rounds of fixtures to even qualify. So they're not even getting the guaranteed spot they hoped for. They're now losing out on the guaranteed spot in their old region. So now they're stuck in the stuck in the middle of it all, really. Well, good. I hope Syria (laughs) win. (laughs) Especially just before the ashes. It'd be nice to completely uh, demoralise the sporting nation of Australia. <laughs> uh, let's, let's move on. Who's this fella? Who's this fella? Oh my God, lads. I can pronounce who's this fella's name this week. <laughs> uh, it's Jack Harrison. <laughs> no, Jack Harrison, who is playing for New York City FC in Major League Soccer. Uh, but he's just been called up to the England under-21s. Are there other players in the MLS that I have, are playing for England? Is this the first one in MLS? It's the first history. I can remember since, for, since Beck's. Must yeah. be. Um, Certainly it's come through the youth team because I know I know there's a lot of lads that go there for the sort of university reasons and end up yeah. kind of playing out there, but they never really end up being you know, that much good. There's so another, is this guy genuine hot stuff? He, his story is really interesting because 
he moved to America when he was 13, um, purely for educational reasons, as you said. He was at Man United's academy mm. and he spoke with his mum and decided to leave because his mum was concerned about prospects after football. Yeah. Like Man United Academy is obviously, not everyone makes it from there. That is one of the, the big ones you're at. So if you go there at 19 years old and then you don't have a career, they were concerned for that. So they moved him out to America. And since then, he's 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 taken off, really. He's had an incredible sort of early career out there. Um, he was winner of, it sounds funny to say out loud, but he was the, he was the Gatorade national boys player. Of course it was. <laughs> which is which is typically <laughs> American the honour. What, what do you do when you win that? Do you get like the you know probably, the NFL? They pour the Gatorade yeah. on the coach's head. Do you just pour a bottle on your own. The lifetime you, supply. You, of Gatorade. Lifetime supply. Exactly. But that that's given to the best high school player across the whole country. Yeah. So that's not that. Despite the name being typically American, that is that is a prestigious award. Yeah. Like when people get the Golden Boy Award in Europe or or even just at your club, uh, you're you're looked upon highly. So to be it's considered like the English Freddie Adu. Exactly. <laughs> to, to to be considered the best young player in the whole country, which is a massive country, is really something. And since then he became the number one draft pick in the twenty sixteen season. Uh, Chicago Fire initially picked him up, uh, but New York City said, We want this guy as well. Obviously he's nineteen at the time. So they traded their fourth pick and a bit of money to get Jack Harrison in. Um so he's sort of he's gone into the American system and uh, and is already really highly thought of. If you if you think the people that have played at New York City as well, David Villa Yeah, Lampard was there, Pierlo Lampard, Pirlo, Patrick Vieira as manager, they've all spoken highly of him. And um it's really exciting to see someone from a league that is obviously not many people consider it that high quality. It's definitely developing people. Those players that we mentioned are helping the reputation. But as you said at the beginning, there's you don't really hear of like, oh, an MLS starlet getting called up for the England under-21s team. And I think we're a bit dodgy with bringing players from other countries in in general. Uh, the under-20 World Cup, in fact, the under-21s did well as well. But we won the under twenty twenty World we? Cup, yeah. Yeah, and that had a few of those players that have been playing for... The Tess, the one that Chelsea loaned yeah. all out to, isn't it? And a few of them have played abroad. And I thought that's it's the first time I've really seen that with England, certainly the youth teams, that they've been abroad getting actual experience rather mm. than being sent on loan to, no offence, but like Barnsley or... Yeah, I think it's a good Bradford point because, I mean, if you look at the England squad now, one of the first names on that team sheet... Uh, it's probably Eric Dyer, and he, he's another one that was sort Sport, of brought up sporting, abroad. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's a similar sort of thing. He was born and raised in England, like Jack Harrison was, but his football education has pretty much been elsewhere. Um, and he's come back, and he's now a mainstay of that England side. I'm not saying Jack Harrison necessarily will do that, but, you know, as Jake said, he's very, very highly thought of. There's been, you know, he's won a lot of individual stuff. He's, he's become a, a really key player for New York. I think he's got 14 goals and 10 assists from 57 games for them. Um, which is and obviously a great old? record. He's 20. He's 20. 20 yeah. 21 in November. Um, and I think, I, I mean, the fact that people like Frank Lampard, Vieira, David Vieira especially, have all been very, very um, high in praise for him, I think has probably helped him out in terms of selection for, for England because obviously those guys are so well respected that, you know, if they're, if they're saying, you know, good things about him, I think it's made uh, A.D. Boothroyd's job of picking him a lot easier. I mean, it, it would be interesting if he was playing for, I don't know, Columbus Crew or, or someone like that. Would he have, would he have got the call? Yeah. You know, I, I think the fact that Frank Lampard, in particular, an England legend, has been so, you know, so excited by his progress is, 
has helped him maybe get to this point. But fair play to him, you know, it's it's the kind of thing you only see in Football Manager, really. You know, players like that getting picked because yeah. you don't even hear about them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he's got a career in Europe after this. And obviously, the thing with Major League Soccer, not only does everyone always pronounce it like that, people look on the league so negatively, don't they? There's always a fairly negative light shone in it. Certainly, you know, I'll sit here and say I've never stayed up late to yeah. well, that's the thing really as well. enjoy an MLS game. There was that time when Kakar and David Villa uh, yeah. started on the same game, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've, see, I've, seen, I've, seen, I've seen a couple <laughs> of games, but I've only ever on purpose watched one. Mm. Is it actually getting better over there? Yeah. Because uh, I know that obviously they've been saying forever, oh, yeah, soccer's finally getting big out here. Oh, it's growing, it's growing. They've been saying that since... Since Beckham. God knows when. Yeah, yeah, but bef- even before Beckham, remember there was Pele and Bobby Moore and all that <laughs> went over there, didn't they? Yeah, true. And it still never, uh, never really took off. Is this a sign that the league is on it on its way to taking off and is now producing genuine talent? Because we look at Pulisic as well. Did he play in MLS at all before he went to Dortmund, or was he he, he was, up over there? He was very young. I think he moved to Germany when he's young. Don't think he appeared in MLS. Forget it then. Um, Rubbish <laughs> league. But, it's, but his, as you said, like he's nineteen now, so that's yeah. still so young. But he grew up and he grew up mostly in that in that system, uh, the American culture. And now mm. they're getting behind him as their wonder boy. Yeah. But in 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 terms of what Jack Harrison sort of suggests about the league, uh, I spoke to someone that. Uh, someone called Justin Souza who loves the MLS uh, um, and I spoke to him about Jack Harrison and was asking like, what does he bring and, and what does he reflect and the one thing I think for England uh, not just MLS the profile of MLS being increased by someone getting a call up to a, a major nation uh, Jack Harrison's left foot and we've Ooh. we need Eng- one of those England <laughs> it sounds like a trivial thing but he, he does play on the right wing and he cuts inside and he's, he's very good at one on one as Ollie said, fourteen goals, ten assists. He's he's adding to both, but that's just someone we don't we don't have a left footer. Yeah, and I just think even something as simple as that that might be one of the reasons as well. We've got this player here that we're not shunning away from him just because he plays in MLS. We've noticed someone with talent. He fills a potential gap in the England squad, um, and I just think there's a lot of young players in MLS as well. That's what Justin uh, focuses on um, more than not, and and he's saying there's a lot of young players coming through that. Are, getting the platform in MLS rather than going, as you said earlier, rather than going to League One or League Two. But there's another City have signed an American kid recently, haven't they? The centre-back from the under-20 World Cup. Oh, Eric Palmer-Brown. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, so, I mean, it, it sort of shows that major nations and, and major leagues are start, starting to look over to the MLS a little bit more, I think, and, and look at their players. It seems to me that it's actually, in, in a way, it's a better place to grow as a footballer because if you get the education side yeah. of things as well which they are better at because obviously mm. the way their college sports works is almost as big as mm. almost as big as their main brand in, exactly, a lot of, yeah. in a lot of places so also it it takes them out of that uh, I don't want to sound too much like the papers that bash Raheem Sterling every time he buys a watch <laughs> or anything like that but it, it takes them out of that kind of environment the, bubble, in the Premier, the Premier League, League bubble yeah the Premier League bubble where Everyone, the minute they show any promise, is on yeah. forty grand a week, yeah. and everybody hates them. Being over there, no one knows who they are walking down the street, really, do they? Yeah. And it's true as well. They've got designated contracts in the MLS, so the three big stars in the team get more of a share of the money. So players like Jack Harrison probably isn't on an awful lot. Um, but I sh- yeah, I think it's just a- quite exciting that England are looking that far afield for players. Obviously, he's come into the squad because 
Shea Yojo and someone else has dropped out. So we have to sort of weigh that up as well. But I think just the fact that he's got the chance to show what he can do yeah, is, exactly. is really exciting. We've got to see him train now, haven't we? Yeah, well, yeah. Not me personally, but <laughs> yeah. Booth would see him train. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the final section. And Ollie, I hope you're ready for this because this gets pretty sweaty and intense. The lights go down. Not literally. We just think they do. It's the Stat Showdown. Stat Showdown. Bum, 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 bum. Da, da, da. Stat Showdown. Another jingle that I'm adding on to our jingles. There. <laughs> jingles on jingles on jingles. <laughs> Bo Jingles. Jingleception. Ollie. Wow. Okay. Young. young Ollie Young. Ollie Young. Ollie Young. Ollie Young. Mm. I'm, I'm ready. Gonna, I'm going to give you the, the first shot this week, being, being the newbie in the room. Okay. And also Jake went for a wee before the show and... The still, fact that he delayed me. I'm still getting punished for that. The fact that he delayed us will never be forgiven. No, they won't. You know the rules of the stack show, don't Ali. <laughs> I do, yeah. And I'm going to go best, with... Best two out of three. I impress might, me. I might go with my weakest one. I'm oh, still not well, convinced. Jesus, don't, don't impress oh, me though. Gosh. I'm still not convinced this is a good stat or not. But oh, here we go. Let's great. go for it anyway. Nice to deliver with <laughs> conviction. <laughs> All right, hot shake, Jake. You're probably going to win. Okay, right. It's very long-winded as well. I'll try and cut it down. Oh, my God. Okay, so... If Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scores for Gabon against Mor- Morocco Ugh. and if Romelu Lukaku scores four against Bosnia and Cyprus, it will mean that four of the five leading scorers in Europe's top five leagues are their nation's all-time top goal scorers. Lionel Messi is Argentina's top goal scorer ever. He's playing in La Liga. Falcao is Colombia's top goal scorer ever, playing in Liga. So if Emerick Aubameyang becomes Gabon's all-time leading scorer, He's the top scorer in the Bundesliga. And he's the one. <laughs> uh, and if Lukaku scores four in Belgium's next two games, which he could, he's also leading the Premier League goal scoring charts. I know, I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that slapping noise is me slapping and rubbing my face, trying to get my head around those numbers, Ollie. Too many numbers. I think I've worked it out. Mm. And it is quite interesting. But mm. this isn't. This is. That's not a quick fire stat. I'm I just know, gonna. I know. I'm not gonna be lounging on the bar, like one elbow on the bar. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, lads. If Lukaku <laughs> scores in his next four games of Belgium, wheel in the chalkboard and start doing the. Uh... But if they do oh. do it, it would be an interesting stat. It would be an interesting stat if everyone had 17 <laughs> minutes free to hear it. Jake, come on, make this make this direct. Make it like a the good old tweets, not the 280 character ones. Here we go. This is about one person scoring one goal. <laughs> That's my kind of of stat. That's a dick. Um, If Ronaldo scores, he'll break the record for most goals ever in a European qualifying campaign, including the playoffs. And that'll be 15 goals. He'll beat um, Pedrag Mijatovic, who scored 14 in 1998, seven of which came in a 12-1 win against Hungary in the playoff. That's a stat on a stat on a stat. I'm just giving more context. (laughs) That was a real stat sandwich. It's good, but... You're essentially telling me that Ronaldo is going to break a scoring record. And I just feel like sometimes you could walk into this room and tell me, oh, yeah, Ronaldo's going to break a scoring week, uh, record this weekend. And I, I'd say, yeah, fine. But the simple <laughs> fact that I understood it in less than four hours, which you've probably edited out, of me scratching my head, means Jake <laughs> gets the first point. Fair enough. And now he gets to double up because he's going to aim his little stat cannon at your head, Ollie. <laughs> and he's going to fire off a stat. Here we go. I'll dip back into the Kevin De Bruyne discussion that we had earlier. Oh, thank God. Kevin De Bruyne has more assists per game 
than any other player in Premier League history with 30 plus assists, 0.44. So 123 players have got 30 assists in history. That's better than Cantona, Ozil. God, really? Fabregas, yep. Okay. That was quite an organic reaction for me there. Hmm. Ollie, you have to produce an organic reaction. (laughs) (laughs) I think this stat might be more up your street. Hopefully anyway. Hello. If Harry Winks makes his debut against either Slovenia or Lithuania, he'll become the 30th Harry to play for England in a senior international. Oh, Young Ollie, young Mars. <laughs> young Ollie. 30 Harrys. It's a lot a of Harrys. dirty Harry, <laughs> but pronounced wrong. Mm. 30 Harry. <sighs> Two organic reactions. And... Jake, I love a weird stat. You've been done over by the weird stat before. That's not what what Ollie's offering me there isn't even a stat, it's a weird fact. Fact of life. <laughs> that could be tweeted by QI or something. You take that point and you, yes. you take it to Come the bank, on. Ollie. And now you've got the chance to Thank you finish so off hot take Jake the Snake with one swift blow. Okay. Sorry, Palace fans. But it's your time to put your head in your hands. Well, Crystal well, Palace. I mean, have been for the last <laughs> year, haven't they? <laughs> Even more. Crystal Palace have won 30 points from their last 38 matches. That would have been enough to get them relegated for every single Premier League season, except for 2009-10, when they would have survived on goal difference. Uh, Burnley and Hull went down on 30 points that season. Okay. Okay. Any more Palace digging from you, Jack? No, You're going no, a different angle. I'm going interna- back into the international scene. As you should. I'm going to talk oh, about. We look forward here. <clears throat> <we>? Not bad. <laughs> I'm going to talk about one of my favourite players at the moment, uh, Joshua Kimmich. Oh. If he plays the full 90 minutes in Germany's next game, he will have played every single minute of their last 22 games across all competitions, which no other player has done, and that beats Franz Beckenbauer's personal record. <sighs> he only managed 21 consecutive full games. Beckenbauer Kim- never had it, did he? No. Never won a thing. Kimmich or Palace? Hmm. Palace are bad. Kimmich good. <laughs> Hot take, Jake the Snake. I think I think you've nabbed it with a two-one victory. Yes. In the last minute, Kimmich is greater than Beckenbauer with the little greater than sign. Obviously not really, but for this particular but, context, but he has, he is. But my Palace one has a silver lining for Palace fans. In one, they, they out could of every have stayed 20, up eight years ago. In one, in every twenty-five Premier League seasons, they might stay up with this team. <laughs> Do you think they're ever going to uh, score Palace? They got Chelsea next, don't they? Yeah. So, have they been a bit of a bogey team for Chelsea recently? Yeah, they beat him last year. They beat him last year two-one, didn't they? But yeah. they don't have any strikers. They're yeah. trying to get Colton Cole, aren't they? Yeah. So, I mean. One of my football heroes, <laughs> Carl Cole. Cole makes an appearance again. <laughs> uh, well, there we go. Young Ollie, young Miles, young Ollie, young. If people <laughs> want to find you on the internet yep. and hear about your opinions on Crystal Palace mm-hmm. and Carlton Cole, where do they go? Uh, at omiles90 on Twitter. Um, and that's pretty much it. Jake tweets me out quite a lot, my boy. You, you Twitter friends, Jake? Where, where do you... Not Twitter friends. I think he likes... <laughs> you follow Ooh, each other. Yeah. Savage. Where can people find you? He always you, calls me out rather than tweeting <laughs> oh, me out. Oh, you call each other out. You're not, you're not friends. No. Well, I will do now after losing that God. stat thing. It's just turned into a very hot room. Yeah. 
me on Twitter is at jkentwistle. E-N-T-W-I-S-T-L-E. There is no H in Entwistle. It always needs to Except be Except for everybody else. Everyone mm. else has an H in Entwistle. And I am Rob Armstrong. You can find me at Rob Armstrong underscore WH. You can also find me on Deezer, on iTunes, and all the other podcast places where we'll be on Defending in Numbers every week until the end of time. So we'll see you next week. Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers. Listener.